on verses 3 and 4. Here's the idea. I find that for most people, even if you don't have, have children, but maybe, maybe not, but even going back to before I had children, the fall kind of forms a time of new beginnings, a time where we, where we, uh, where we uh, try new things, where we make some changes in our lives. It, it just kind of naturally happens, perhaps because America runs naturally on kind of a school schedule. Uh, it's not like New Year's, but I think even more probably that the, there's just as much upheaval in this time of year. And so we want to focus on, on this idea or this thought process. What is this fall going to look like for you? And what's your game plan for your own life as you go through through this fall? Uh, I don't know what your, your summer was like. My summer was, was interesting to say the least, and I got almost nothing that I planned to do uh, accomplished. And so I don't know what yours was like, but I've been looking forward to fall because of, because of that natural new beginning, uh, beginning feel. And so we're going to spend three weeks kind of giving you uh, some, some idea of what it means to have a game plan or a thought process for this, this coming fall uh, from Scripture. And so I'm going to read to you first from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says this, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us, a, us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So here's, here's a reality that, that I observe and something that I, that I think is true, is that most of us have, have a desire for... Um, for a good life, right? Most of us have a desire for a successful life, whatever, whatever that means, and we can get into various definitions. Most of us ha- have a desire to feel like the life that we are living is meaningful, the life that we are living is purposeful, the life that we are living is, is effective. And yet I find a lot of times that the problem with our lives Typically, when I talk to a person who's in struggle, when I talk to a person who's, who's maybe depressed, when I talk to a person who's, who's maybe hit, hit the bottom and knows that they, they need to change things, what I find often is it's not so much the external things, i.e. the things that they do, but it is their in, internal attitude towards who they are that, that is causing the problem, their internal attitude toward, towards their own existence. And I find this to be true even in cases where, where people are, are struggling with, with addiction, even in cases where people are struggling with making awful decisions, all of those sorts of things. Those externals are, are real, but oftentimes what I find is, is, in reality, the problem we have is internal. In other words, most of us do not believe that we have what it takes to live a good life or to live uh, an effective life or to live a successful life or to live a life that is, is meaningful. And I think this, this is universal. I think this is why you, you, can, you can look at, at people who have accomplished great things in, 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 the, uh, in the, the traditional sense of, of, the, world, of the word, whether that, that means... Uh, uh, super effective things like they like they did things that changed the world or just they were they were famous and our culture would define that as as successful you can find people who are rich you can find people who are famous you can find all of these things and what you'll find is they oftentimes do not feel like they've accomplished anything or like they're worthwhile we had this past um 
this past spring and summer, a, a spat of, of celebrity suicides. People that you would think they had money, they had fame, they had everything that they needed, some people would think, and yet they were taking their own lives because they did not feel like their lives had what it took. And so on a, on a lesser level, hopefully uh, we're not at the level most of us where we're, we're ready to take our own lives, but I do think that oftentimes we struggle similarly wherein we feel like, like the life that we lead is not as meaningful as it might seem. And so I want to talk this morning to some of us before we jump in to, to, to how specifically to, to plan and, and, and specifics. I want to talk to what I think is the bigger issue, which is what is happening inside of us and who that we believe, who we believe that we are. This is what has occurred to me. I'm, uh, I'm reading a book right now called Coming Clean. Uh, it's the story of a, of a man who, had, who was a worship leader, a uh, story of, of a man who, who had grown up in the church, story of a man who, 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 um, who followed Jesus, and it's about his crisis of, of doubt mixed with, with how he tried to solve the problem of his crisis of doubt. It's the story, actually, of a man whose son becomes sick, and his son becoming sick, and his son uh, being in the hospital. And through all of that, he, he begins to abuse. Uh, he become, becomes a substance abuser, becomes an alcoholic, and it's the story of how he begins to recover, recover from his alcoholism, from his, from his addiction. But what hit me in reading this was his own realization as he delved into it, and he started to look at why he was experiencing doubt, why he was going to dark places, why he was abusing alcohol. The alcohol abuse was a symptom of, of a deeper issue, and his deepest issue was that he can continually felt as though he might be a fraud. He continually felt as though he was not worthwhile. He continually felt as though he did not have what it took. And so he would stand in front of a congregation even on Easter morning and, and sing with the people resurrection songs. And at the whole time he was saying to himself, I'm a fake. I have no right to sing this. I don't have what it takes. And so as I was reading that, as I was reading Coming Clean, it occurred to me that there are a lot of us, I suspect, who do not feel like, even though we might have been Jesus followers for, for, for a long time, or maybe we're only Jesus followers for a short time, or maybe you're not even a Jesus follower yet, it occurs to me that there are a lot of us who feel that we don't have what it takes. We're not, we're not in the right place to be Jesus followers. And it occurs to me, even as, as I look at my own life, that this, this can be common. I will tell you this, I am the youngest child of five. The youngest child of five never has the ability to feel old, uh, never has the ability to feel adult. It is an odd thing to be 42, to have gray in your beard on the one hand, with a messed up hip and two bad shoulders. Uh, so on the one hand, you feel physically old, you feel like you might be getting old, and yet you never feel like you have accomplished or attained adult because there are so many who came before you and because you spent your whole life being the baby of the family. And so as I look at my own reality, my own existence, who I am, I realize that, that I look at what has happened in my life and these same feelings that I might just be a fraud creep in on me. And so 
I think these feelings are common. I was saying to, to my wife the other day, I said, it is shocking to me that, I, that, uh, that we are at this point in life, that when people talk about urban ministry in Grand Rapids, that they come to Crosswinds and they, they ask us questions. It is shocking to me that the group of churches that we're a part of likes what we do so much that they continue to fund our, our, our church plants. All of these things are shocking to me, not because I don't believe in those things, but because I look at myself at the center of it and I go, how long can I keep up that, like, like they're buying this? And it's not that I'm, that I'm trying to fake anything, but there's this internal struggle that says to me, eventually someone's going to catch on, Dave, that you're not all that. So eventually someone's going to catch on that you're not all that you're going to claim to be. And so these voices of doubt creep in and say to me, Dave, you don't, you don't really have what it takes to lead crosswinds. Dave, you don't really have what it takes to, to, to plant new churches. Dave, they're going to figure it out that you don't know everything e- eventually, right? And um, I think they already know that I don't know everything. Um, but uh, I've spent a lot of years pretending I do. So uh, this, the, the, the point here is simply to say this. I think there is within us this idea, and, and, and I don't think that it, is, that it, it was unique to, to the writer of the book, Coming Clean. I don't think it's unique to me. I think it is a part of the human reality, and I think it's a part of, of what, what the devil would have, and I think it's a part of what comes against our faith, is that in all of us, someone whispers into our ear regularly, you do not have what it takes to be a real Jesus follower. You're, you're not real. You're fake. And so the, the, what I want to get to this morning and what I want to give us this morning is, is a reminder that that voice whispering in our ear is a lie. And every time that it whispers doubts into our, our ear, we need to go to Scripture and to remind that voice and remind the speaker, whether the speaker is external or whether the, whether the speaker is internal, whether this, it, we need to remind the voice that the voice is absolutely and completely a liar. And the reason we know that the voice is a liar, the reason we know that, that what's being spoken is not true is because Scripture says so. And so we go back then to verse 3. How do I know that I am not a fraud? How do I know that I have the ability to be a Jesus follower? How do I know that I can claim to be a son of the living God? How do I know that I can claim to be one who is pleasing to the living God? How do I know that I can claim any sort of life of, of, of godliness? How do I know? I know because First Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. The suggestion there is this. There is not a thing that is, that is, that is out there. There is not, there is not a formula that, that, that is hidden. There is not a secret that is yet to be discovered. Everything that I need for a godly life it says it interestingly, life and godliness, but it means godly life. Everything I need for a godly life is given to me. Do you ever feel like in your Christian life, you're like, I want to follow Jesus. I know that I can, can follow Jesus, but what's, what's that one thing? Where is it? And you're searching for, for, for a secret. Uh, we, we're, we're like people in, in, a, in a fairy tale who, who, have, a, who have a map. That, and if we follow that map, it will lead us to a place. And if we get to that place, we'll discover something at the, at the end of that that will give us secret powers, that will give us a way to do Do you ever feel like you're a person? 
person in a fairy tale, searching maybe through scripture, maybe through life, maybe through advice, maybe through, through self-help, maybe through the internet, maybe through everything else, looking for that one secret that is going to unlock it all, searching for the, for the superpower that will come to you if you could just discover it. I want to tell you that there is nothing hidden. You do not need another map. You do not need to search more. You do not need, need, need to, to drill deeper. Everything has been given to you. Everything required. There is nothing that the Lord God has held back from you. There's nothing that the Lord God is not giving to you. There's nothing in your life, in your desire to live a godly life. And I hope that you have a desire to live a godly life. There's nothing in your desire to live a godly life that is being withheld from you. God is not saying, well, wait until you measure up. God is not saying, well, wait until you, you reach this level. God is not saying, wait, in, wait until you accomplish a few more things. God's not saying, wait until I'm sure that you're really certain about this, that I'm certain that you're really committed, right? Things that happen in, in, in real life. When you say, I want to do something, people say, well, you got to earn your way to the next level. I want, and, uh, I want to try this. Well, that's okay. You can try, but let me see if you're committed, right? If you have children and you have the kind of child who's into one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing and they want to sign up, for instance, for, for a sport. Sometimes my, my kids want to sign up for a sport and then they immediately want every piece of clothing that comes with that that sport. And so uh, the big one I, is always when my kids were little and they signed up for wrestling, the first day they signed up for wrestling, they wanted wrestling shoes. And I said, let's go barefoot for a while until we're sure that you're really committed to this wrestling thing. But I want you to hear this, is that when we come to God, he is not saying, let's wait until I'm sure that you're really committed. He's not withholding anything. He's giving you everything that, that, that is required. He is giving you everything that it takes. There's nothing held back, including, by the way, his divine power, which is the source of, of, of the giving of those things. And so on, on those days, in those moments where you're like, I don't have it. I don't have enough. I'm so weak. I can't do it. I don't know. I try, but I'm not good enough. In those moments, I want to remind you that you do not walk with God on the basis of your own power, on the basis of your own effort. You will not make it through this life on the basis of your own power and your own effort. So even if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm not even sure about this Jesus thing. I'm not even sure about this godliness thing. I don't even want that. I want to say this to you. That the, the key to this life is the creator and the maker of it. You will not make it through this life life pleased. You will not make it through this life happy. You will not make it through this life successful apart from the maker of this life. God is the center and God is central. Jesus is at the center of our universe and, and our, our existence. And that is not a religious statement. That is a statement of the reality of the way that the universe functions. Right? You are here because God declared it to be so. I don't have time to go in to, to proofs of that. I am just going to state that. That the reason that you and I sit here is because God made it so. And the way that he made it so was through the, his, his person, through Jesus Christ, the Spirit, and God the Father creating the earth and designing it and making it the way it was. And because God is the maker, you cannot walk through the earth and through his design on your own apart from him and expect to have any sort of success, expect to have any sort of pleasure, expect to have any sort, sort 
heart of, of, of peace. The reality is, is that in this life, those of us who do follow Jesus, we do experience pain. We do experience suffering. We do walk through all those sorts of things. But because God is our maker, because God is our guide, because God is the giver of our divine power, we are able to walk through that. And so my reminder to you is whether you are, you are resistant to walking with God in his way or whether you're trying to walk with God and you don't feel like you have what it takes, I want you to hear this, is that his divine power is the key to living this life. And the reason it's the key to living this life is because it has given us everything required for life and godliness or a godly life. Therefore, any of you who walk with Jesus, no matter what your emotions say, no matter what your experience says, no matter any of those things, if you've ever felt like a fraud, if you've ever felt like a fake, if you've ever said, I don't know, I don't, I feel like I'm going through emotions, I just, I feel like I'm not a good enough whatever. I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not a good enough. I want you to hear this. You have everything that it takes, not on the basis of you, but on the basis of the divine power of the living God. That's good news, which means you and I, though we may be attacked by voices, are no frauds when it comes to walking with King Jesus. He has given us everything that we need. Then Peter, this is, this, uh, these two sentences are actually one, one long thought, and he's going to build on that. So he says, his divine power, God's divine power, has given you, given everything required for life and godliness. How? Through knowledge of him who called us. So how has he given us? Through the knowledge of him who called us. You are not a fraud. You have been given everything that it takes. Now, if you want to grow in that, what do you do? You avail yourself of the knowledge of him. You delve into him. You dive deeper into him. You get to know him. You pursue him. You seek him. You pick up this book and you devour it. You, you get everything you can get out of it. Here's, here's what I've discovered in, 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 in the, the last few months of my life where there's honestly been more struggle in the last few months than probably all the rest of my life before that combined. I have lived, if I'm being honest with you, a very charmed life. And so in the last few months, as, I, as I've started to, to go through things that are more emotionally and personally hurtful for me, that have brought more struggle, what I realized was this, is that the struggle can be a beautiful thing. And the reason the struggle can be a beautiful thing is because struggle forms a hunger pain. And what does it cause a hunger for? In me, it has caused a hunger for the word of God. I must know him. I have to know him because my only hope is in him. In every struggle, in every tear, in, in, in every dispute, in every moment where the home lacks peace, what has happened? Each of those things has sought to, to form in me that, that struggle has been like a hunger pain. And I've discovered that I do hunger and I do thirst for righteousness. I do want this, this Jesus. And so, so if you want to avail yourself, if you want, want to, 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 to take hold of these things that have given you everything you need for a godly life or for life and godliness, what do you do? You dive into him. Thank God that in, in, if he has saved you, he is also going to put that desire in you. And thank God, and this sounds crazy sometimes, for suffering, which causes you to realize that you are hungry, that, that you do have a hunger pain. If your body 
never, never gave you a hunger pain. And some of us can't relate to this because we essentially have, have uh, eating disorders where we're always eating, so our body never gets physically hungry. But if you had a body that never get, got physically hungry, if you never knew when to eat, you might not consume those things which give nourishment to your body. You might not consume those things that cause your body to grow. In the same way, thank God for his goodness in that sometimes he sends to us struggle to remind us that we hunger for him, that we need him because the knowledge of him who called us is how we avail ourselves. It's how he gives us the divine power for everything that is required for life and godliness. Uh, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. How? Through knowledge of him who did what? He called us by his own glory and goodness. Your calling is sure in Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of something that I regularly remind you of, that your calling in Jesus is not based upon your value to Jesus. In other words, Jesus is not looking to fill a position. If we were looking to fill a position, for instance, if you were looking to fill a position like, I need a babysitter to watch my child, you would base that on the skills of the person who could, who could babysit your child. You would say, is this person nice? Are they good with kids? Are they not a criminal? Are, are, they, are, they, are they not uh, wanted in three or four different states for, for being uh, a murderer? Uh, are they not... Are they not a reenactor of of Pennywise from the movie It, right? You would ask these questions when you are trying to hire a babysitter. And sometimes we think that God's calling of us is based upon God's review of us. And the problem with that is that we live with us, and even though we don't express it, we know that we are not the best choice. Sometimes I use the analogy, this is not an elementary school kickball team that God is putting together. God looks and says, that person has really what it takes. Did you see the home run they could kick in kickball? And God's putting together the best team. And you look at yourself and you're like, you know, you can't kick a kickball. And you, the last time you tried to catch one, your hands went across and you got hit in the face. And so you're like, oh no, I'm not getting picked. And so for some of us uh, who were like the last pick in our our gym classes, we think God is choosing us according to the same thing. And we think God's looking at us going, Dave Drake, uh, he's got some things going for him. He's willing to stand in front of people and talk. He's got some issues, talks too much in other situations, not enough. Uh, he's kind of a weirdo in that he's a preacher and an introvert. I don't know. Uh, it's not my top pick, but uh, if I can get Dave Drake in the 15th round of the Saving People draft, I guess I'll pick him up, right? And some of us, then we fear that God doesn't even pick us. We're like, I don't know how I got here. We think we're undrafted free agents. We didn't even get picked in the draft. We just kept trying out for God's team, and finally he let us stick. What I want you to hear is this, is that God is not choosing you based upon anything in you. This is not a kickball team. This is not choosing a babysitter. God chose you based upon him, and that's really good news right? If you've ever met you, you know that's good news. If you've ever met me, you know that's good news. If you're married and you live with a spouse, you know that's good news. If you have a three-year-old, you definitely know this is good news, right? This is good news. God did not choose you based upon you. What did he choose you based upon? His own glory and his own goodness. Thank goodness, because I messed up, but his glory is unassailable. His goodness is is unspeakable. His greatness is, is, I can't even express it. So God has given you divine power. How? Through knowledge of him. And and what is the knowledge of him? How do we get that? It's because he called us. How did he call us? According to his own goodness. According to his own glory. 
Then it says this, building on that. Not only does he choose you according to his glory and his goodness, but by these, his own glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises. He's given us very great, what are these promises? Well, they're promises like this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What are these promises? They're promises like this, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. What are these promises? They're promises like Ephesians 1, 4, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What are these promises? They're the promise of every page of scripture that finds its meaning and its fulfillment in Jesus. And if Jesus is both the fulfillment and the recipient of every promise, inasmuch as you are in Jesus, you are the recipient of every promise of Scripture as well. He has given us precious promises. That through these promises, we might share in the divine nature. In other words, through these promises, through everything that is, in as much as every promise finds its yes in Jesus, so in as much as we are in Jesus, we find our yes in him. Here's, here's, here's the point of the passage that I want you to catch. For every moment and every lie you've ever heard that you're a fraud, for every time you've ever heard that you don't measure up, for every time in the human world that you've not been picked for the team, for every moment that someone hurt you, for every moment that someone turned from you, from every moment that someone left you, for every moment that, that someone spoke something to you, for every moment that you live with yourself and you did again that thing that you didn't want to do, for every moment of addiction, for every moment of failure, from every moment of looking at yourself objectively in the mirror and saying, who could love this? I want to respond, Jesus. Jesus loves that. Not based upon you, not rooted in you, but rooted only in him, in his goodness and his glory. And if his goodness never fails, in his glory he will not share with another, you can be sure that his love for you does not fail. So that you can, going into this new fall, you can be godly you can have a new fall. You can be successful. Now, I can't promise that successful doesn't mean suffering. I can't promise that successful doesn't mean hurting. I can't promise that you won't walk through some things, but I can promise this, that even the suffering will form in you a hunger pain that causes you to want to devour more and more of this word so that you might know the man who this book speaks of more and more. And I can promise you this, in every tear I've ever cried, in every pain I've ever felt, in every moment where I've ever been down, in every time I've ever looked in the mirror and saw a failure in the face of my Savior Jesus, I see only love. I see only his desire for me, and I see only the reality that I have the divine power in him that gives me everything that I need for a godly life, so that through the knowledge of him who called me on the basis of his glory and goodness, he gives me a great and precious promises that find his fulfillment in him. And inasmuch as I am in him, every promise is mine too, that I might participate in him, that I might know him more, and that this might be the beginning this fall of the greatest time of my life. Maybe I suffer. Maybe I hurt. Maybe the struggle continues. Maybe there's more and more tears ahead. But the reality is this, is that each one is not meaningless. It makes me hungrier and hungrier for the knowledge of him. I want you to hear this. If you're here this morning 
and you want the life that you were created to live. You want the life that you were meant to live. You want the life that you never thought you could live. It is available in Jesus through his divine power. He has given you everything that you need.